You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. We are starting a, a, a new series, um, not just this for this month. It's going to continue possibly until till the end of the year. So if you guys are with me, um, we are starting a series called Core Values. Can you say Core Values? Uh, how many of you know what core values are? Uh, how many of you have some core values that you carry as a person? Uh, how many of you have have worked for an organization that might have some core values? Like, hey, the, this is this is who we are at our essence, right? Um, I, I believe we should carry core values. I, I think we should have things in our life which we prioritize, uh, and there there should be a, a pecking order, if you if you want to call it that. In, in our lives. And, and uh, what happens, unfortunately, in today's culture is we try to do everything for everyone. And how many of you know that you cannot satisfy everyone and everything? How many of you know that? How many of you know that you can't please both God and man, right? Uh, how many, if, as families, I, I know that I can't please both my wife and my children. Because a lot of times there's some contrasting things. My kids want something, and then my wife wants something. And in, in my value system, my wife comes first. So if my kids come and tell me, well, mommy said no, I say, well, there you go. That's the answer. Mommy said no. Like, there, there's a priority there. Prioritize my, my oneness and my unity with my wife over my children because they are little divisive agents, I'm telling you right now. Okay? So that's a priority that I don't want to break. It's a priority that we had to learn. Right? Because sometimes when, when that beautiful little girl bats her eyes at you and says, Daddy, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, okay. Don't tell your mom. Right? It's very easy to break our value system because our heart our, um, um, ties get pulled on or whatever it looks like. And so um, this, this penetrates all of society, culture, us as a people, us as a church. We can get pulled in so many different directions that we actually don't know what we're standing for. And um, o- over the last several months, our leadership team has gotten together our elders first, um, and then we invited the deacons and, and our home group leaders and our leadership team to establish what our core values are as a church. And, and the reason why is this, because when the pandemic hit, so much about who we were as a people, personally and even collectively, honestly, was stripped away. And then you begin to ask yourself, wow, these things that have been stripped away, we valued so much, but now they've been taken away from who we are. So what are really our core values? And how do those things transcend a pandemic? How do those things transcend the things that are happening in the world around us? How do those things transcend the politics and all of the other things that are taking place in in, in our world so that we can hold tight to the essence of who God has called us to be? And so this is where our core values came from. Um, I, I was looking up core values and I ran across this thing from the National Park Services. So it's nps.gov. And this is how they define core values. The core values of an organization are those values we hold which form the foundation and which we perform work and conduct ourselves. 
we have an entire universe of values, right? There are, there's, there's thousands of values out there. There's so many, there's a, all kinds of values that we could draw from. But some of them are so primary, so important to us that throughout the changes in society, government, politics, and technology, they are still the core values we will abide by. Isn't that good? So you, there's all kinds of things that are going to contend for, for your attention, uh, for your adoration, for your energy, your time, for your love. But our core values are the ones that we have to hold on to with, with a death grip. Um, in an ever-changing world, core values are constant. Core values are constant. Core values are not descriptions of the work we do or the strategies we employ to accomplish our mission. And so it's different from having a mission statement or, um, you know, when you say, that, you know, this is what we do or this is our mission. It's very different than that. The values underlie our work, how to interact with each other and which strategies we employ to fulfill our mission. The core values are the basic elements of how we go about our work. They are the practices we use or should be using every day in everything we do. And, and I love that thing because there's so many spiritual principles in there that we can be able to apply to who we are as a people. Our core values should penetrate not just what we do in this building, but what we do in our everyday lives, what we do as people of God. When I say people of God, a lot of times church people think, yeah, us as a people, but I'm talking about more into the micro, me as a son of God, you as a daughter of God, as a son of God. And so we got together and, and we began to speak about, hey, what, what are our core values? What, what do we value above all else? and the life of our church? What is it that we stand on and that we are going to make that, that, that platform that is unshakable, that, that platform that we are saying, these are the things that as society changes and culture changes, and if another pandemic hits, these are the things that we are going to hold on to. And so we um, went to the Lord, got some prophetic words about, about who we are as a people, obviously went to the scriptures, and allowed God to speak and to show us, hey, these are the values that, that he wants us to contend for, not only in this season, but the seasons to come. Um, one of the prophetic words that the Lord gave my wife, Vanessa, for this season that was coming was realignment. And so that, that realignment is us realigning ourselves. If you guys remember me talking about that liminal season that we can find ourselves in, and what I mean by liminal is kind of that threshold season. It's like when you're walking through a doorway so that you're obviously leaving one room, you're walking through a doorway, and you're going to be entering into a new space, right? That liminal season is one foot in the, in the last room and one foot into the new room. And so you haven't quite let go of what was, and you haven't quite stepped into fully what will be. So you're in this liminal season. And I believe that's where not just Restoration LA is, and maybe not just this is where the world is at right now when it comes to this pandemic. We, don't, we, we all want to go back to what was, but what was doesn't exist anymore, right? And so now we're in this threshold, this liminal season. We're walking into what was, and what's emerging, God is still kind of bringing to light. It's kind of like when you get close to something you're focusing in on, and as you get closer and closer, it comes into focus, and then you can see clearly. And I believe this is the season we're in, but it takes realignment. 
It takes us readying our hearts and our spirits to allow God to prepare us for that which will be, right? You guys okay? Okay. Um, so one of the things that we talked about in our leadership um, time was espoused values versus embodied values. How many of you guys have, have heard about espoused values and, and, and embodied values? I've spoken to this in our thermostat meetings, but I want to present this to us as a church as well. Espoused values are values that we are married to. But it's kind of like this. We're married on paper, but we don't actually live together. Kind of weird, right? So an espoused value is something that on paper we say, this is a value. This is, this is what we believe. This is what we're holding on to. But how we actually walk that out doesn't match that marriage document or marriage certificate. And so what we need to do is merge those things. So yes, we are married, but people never see us together. There'd be a question on, are you really married, right? And so what we want to do is merge those things because we say, hey, this is what we're about. We're married to, that word espouse means to, a, to adopt or, or, or to be espoused to, right? And so we, we're saying these are the values that we have. But when onlookers look onto us, we want them to be able to see, yes, this is what Restoration LA is about. Or we as an individual, yes, this is what this person is about. And so when we say we're Christian, what we are saying, that word Christian means that we're Christ-like. That we are endeavoring to be Christ-like. That is a value that we hold. But when the world sees us and they look at our lives, they're like, Jesus, Jody, Right, and, they're, 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 and when there's a gap there, that thing is called an integrity gap. They don't line up. And when there's an integrity gap, the onlookers and the world around begins to look at us as a people and like, wow, their message doesn't match their lifestyle. And so as a people, we have to ensure that the values that we are holding and standing on are the values that we're espoused to are the values that we are actually embodying. What I mean by embodying them is we're actually living them out. When people see our lives and are watching our lives from a distance, they're like, yeah, his life matches his message. Her life message matches her message. And I'm telling you, we all want that from everyone else, right? We all want people to say what they do and do what they say. How about us? How much more for the God of heaven who is looking down from heaven and saying, I want your life to match your message. I don't want you to just adopt these values. I want you to live them out as a people. So let's just give me a little bit practical. Um, let's just say one of your values is um, I value to live out a healthy lifestyle, right? And so I personally have been working out six days straight, just so you guys all know. Six days straight. So I'm clearly an expert in healthy lifestyle now, right? So if, if, you, if you have been to the, the, the Whittier um, LA Fitness, some of you have, and I've seen you there. Bobby, shout out to Royce. What's up, bro? Uh, I've seen you guys at the gym. Um, if, if you want to come see me, there's this section in, in, in the corner where all the, like, the big dudes are like grinding out there. I'm not normally there. 
Um, you'll probably find me in the pool with all the, the old Hispanic ladies um, doing water aerobics, right? In the, in the, in the pool. And, and, and then me and Ken were talking about this yesterday. And they're like, no, mijo, you don't do it like this. Why do you do it like that? Like, I mean, you're not doing it right. Like, oh, man. I'll probably be in there. <laughs> but listen, the, the point of, of a spouse value is that we're actually living it out. It doesn't mean we've had it to perfection. It means that we're, we're about it. And that, that translates to, to the world system and it translates into the life of the church. Don't just talk about it, but be about it, right? I mean, it's kind of a street term, but don't just talk about it, but be about it. This is what, what merging those two value systems look like, right? Um, that's what embodied values are, the values we actually embody, right? It's in our person. We don't just put them on a core value statement. We actually live it. Um, so we want to deal with that integrity gap. And here, here's some, some factors that, that uh, feed into that integrity gap. There's normally in, in the life of, of many organizations, but especially even in the church that I've seen, is this 80-20 value uh, or 80-20% thing. And this is what that means. Is even in Jesus' age, he had some core followers and then he had the crowd. If you, if you, if you look at Jesus' ministry and the four gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's always crowds around Jesus. I mean, up to thousands of people. Thousands of people would follow Jesus just hoping that he would do something miraculous and they get to be a part of it, right? Um, how many of you guys have ever seen Forrest Gump, right? You see Forrest Gump, how, you know, once, once like his, his running time gets real popular and people start following him, you see all those people and then he stops in the road when he decides to just stop running. And then he turns around and all the people are like, shh, he's going to say something. He's going to say something, right? I mean, this is what happened with Jesus. The people would just follow him, waiting for him to do the miraculous. So there was these large crowds. But when push came to shove, and when persecution came, and when Jesus had to go before Pilate and eventually was sent to his crucifixion, everyone scattered. Everyone scattered. And it was that core group of 11 men, no longer 12, 11 men who stood true to valuing Jesus above all else. 12 men. So even in Jesus' age, there was this percentile uh, discrepancy. There was this crowd, and then there's a core, core group. And we even find that in every organization, we can find it in the church, where 20% of the people in their essence are carrying the values of an organization and the church and the rest just kind of fits into the crowd kind of sphere. And in the life of the church, we have to have an understanding of the priesthood of all believers. We're not called to be a part of the crowd. We're not called to be part of that greater number. We're called to be part of that core number. That core number that values and holds on to all of those things. Just think about this. In, in a, in a, if, if an organization has a value of, Above all else, we value the customer. And then you go and you have an interaction with the customer service and they treat you like garbage. There's an integrity gap there, right? You're like, but the Burger King, you say I can have it my way. You're not going to take out the pickles? Right? There, there, there's something wrong there. And so 
what there, there's some factors that contribute to why there's that integrity gap. And so that 80-20, maybe the 20% have been in the organization longer and they just get it. Maybe. Or, or maybe the 20% um, percent are extroverts. And so they can be better customer service people, right? They're just built that way. We, we have these ideologies. Or, or maybe the 20% were sent to Chick-fil-A's customer service and they just know how to get it right because Chick-fil-A has some really good customer service. Uh, maybe, listen, even the 80% are not living out this value because they never knew it was a value. There's all kinds of factors that can contribute to why there's still this discrepancy, even in the church, of why some are living out values and some are not. And so during this series, I want us to bridge that gap. I want us to bridge that gap. I want every person in the life of our church and any visitor and anyone else who comes to know who and what we are about as a people. Can you guys say amen to that? All right. So um, our first and primary core value that I have 20 minutes to land. Here we go. I want you guys to hear Patrick. It's a drum roll. Come on. You guys can do it with me. Drum roll. First and primary core value. You can do it a little bit louder. This is getting excited. You should be excited. This is number one. Number one is we are Jesus-centered. Jesus-centered. Now, you could be like, well, go figure, okay? But listen, we can say that we're Jesus-centered all day long. We can put his name in lights. We can do everything. We can sing Every song about Jesus, we could preach nothing but Jesus Sunday in and Sunday out. But that doesn't mean that I am Jesus-centered. And this is how we begin to bridge that gap. Are you guys with me? So this is what Jesus-centered means to us as our core value. This is the statement. Jesus is a central theme and focus of the gospel and is central to all we believe all we do as a local, and all we do as a local church, we are called to be his believers, his followers, and his ambassadors. We submit to his lordship in all things as a testament to our love for him. This is our, core, our first core value as a church. The other ones might not be like, like one through seven. There's seven we're going to go through. They might not be in order, but this one is in order. It's number one, and it will not change. The rest that follow might not be number one, not, might not be number two or three. They're going to kind of be interchangeable. This is number one, and it will not change. So our first core value is Jesus-centered. Can you say that with me? Jesus-centered. Our church is and always will be about Jesus. It's going to be about Jesus. He, he is central to our theology. He is central to our ecclesiology. He is central to our eschatology. He is central to our psychology. He is central to our physiology. He is, listen friends, and I say this jokingly, but I'm serious. He's our cardiology. He is the heart of who we are. He is at the center of who we are as a church. He is our essence. I want every person in the life of our church to be able to articulate with conviction that Jesus is the center of our church. Not the government, not justice, not peace, not worship, not prophecy, not hospitality, not church planting, not the pastor and great teaching. Jesus, Jesus 
is the central theme and focus in the life of our church. Without Jesus, we have no peace. Without Jesus, we have no justice. Without Jesus, we have no prophecy. Without Jesus, we have no message to preach. Without Jesus, we have no churches to plant. Jesus is a central theme and focus. When this is in the right place, I'm telling you, we are standing on a firm foundation. Jesus is the rock in which we stand as a church and as a people. Sometimes when you meet uh, other Christians, the conversation kind of normally goes like this. So, um, so you're a Christian. So normally I'll say, yeah, absolutely, I'm a Christian. Maybe I, I said I went to church or maybe I said something that asked them to ask that question. So yeah. I'm, and so the next question normally is, uh, wh- what church do you go to? And I want to say Big Bad RLA from East Lowe's, fool. <laughs> That's, that's something that's something Sadius would say. I just picture Sadius saying that. If you don't, if you don't, if you know Sadius, Sadius is, is our little South African East LA kid who loves to dog people. He'll st- he'll stand on the corner, look like. That. <laughs> but normally, what comes out of, out of my mouth is say I go, I go to Restoration Los Angeles. Um, but the next question is like this: who, Who's the pastor? That's a value system there. There's a value system there about position. There's a value system there about man's recognition. Who's your pastor there? Shouldn't matter who the pastor is. Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. And, but that's, that's a value system. And I don't, I don't begrudge people, but normally it's like, oh, I never heard of them. I'm like, yeah, probably haven't. <laughs> but the next question is this. How big is your church? There's a value system there. Because perceived success is important to people. And so there's a value system there. None of these things are valuable in heaven. Jesus values the pastor in the life of the church. Jesus values the local church. But Jesus isn't stressing out or or, or because Jody is is a pastor here, because Jody might not always be the pastor here. This church will be passed on to the next guy and to the next guy if the Lord tarries. And it's not going to matter who the pastor is. It's not going to matter if there's 10 saints in here or a 1,000 saints in here and we're having to run 10 services. What matters is Jesus is a central theme and focus of who we are. We want our church to be able to answer deeper questions than just who's your pastor and, and how big is your church. We want people to be able to answer in the life of this church is what is your church about? And of course, we're going to say Jesus, but I want people to begin to get deeper than just the name of Jesus. I want people to understand theologically and every other ology that we have of why Jesus is a central theme and focus of who we are. So let's punch through these guys if you guys are with me. Number one, Jesus is a central figure of heaven. You can write that down. For us to be able to answer this question, that Jesus is our primary value in the life of this church. We have to understand this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 read like this. Therefore God, can you say God? God the Father elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. They gave, he gave Jesus the name above all other names that the name of Jesus, listen friends, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Backwards, heaven and on earth. And under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. If you want to give God the Father glory, 
honor his son, Jesus. Jesus, uh, God the Father gave his son, Jesus, the name above every other name. The, our heavenly father is not, is, not, is not intimidated by his son. He gave glory to his son. They are not in competition with each other. And when we lift up the name of Jesus and we praise Jesus, God the Father's heart is leaping because this is the name that he gave him. This is the authority, the power, the honor that God the Father gave his son Jesus. And if God does this, how much more should we, as the children of God, be backing, it's an old saying, but be backing our father's play. Our, our father wrote a check with the blood of his son so that we would become followers of Jesus, so that we would be those who uphold the name of Jesus. We can't out-honor Jesus. We can't not give Jesus too much honor. And I'm telling you, there's movements today that, that are that are twisting this thing up. And, and I'm not trying to put other religions on blast and I'm, I'm not in conflict. I mean, I think there's some theological things that they need to straighten out. But when we put anything other than Jesus as the primary, we've missed it. We've missed it as a people and we could miss it as a church. And there's church movements that do this. There's church movements that say, hey, we're going to focus only on the Holy Spirit. Or we're going to only focus on God the Father, Jehovah. And when we only do those as the primary focuses, I'm telling you, we've missed what God is doing in heaven. Jesus is the primary focus. Jesus gets the highest honor. Jesus has the highest name. In this place, we all bend a knee to Jesus. In this place, we declare Jesus Christ as Lord. But my hope and desire is for every saint in this place is it'll happen beyond this place. Are you guys with me? We cannot just speak of Jesus's lordship if our lives do not reflect that he is Lord. We cannot speak of his lordship if our lives do not reflect that he is Lord because there's an integrity gap. And what does it mean for him to be Lord? Listen to this. John 14, 15 says this. If you love me, obey my commandments. If Jesus is Lord, Capital L, seated on the throne. Jesus says, if you love me, then you will obey my commandments. Does your life look like this? Do our lives look like this? When the world around us, our spheres, our families, our coworkers, our neighbors, when they're looking at our lives, does it look like Jesus Christ is Lord? This is what it means to be a people who are Jesus-centered. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus told them, I am the way. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped something. Number two, number one was Jesus is a central figure of heaven. Number two, Jesus is, a cent is central to salvation. Jesus is central to salvation. That comes from John chapter 14, verse 15. I'm sorry, John 14, 6. Sorry, excuse me, I'm getting a little antsy for time's sake. Number two, Jesus is central to salvation. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is central to salvation. There is no salvation without Jesus. There is no other name in which anyone can be saved. There is no other name in which anyone could be raised from the dead. There's no other name in which anyone could be healed. And that word salvation come in sozo, healed, saved, delivered. 
There's no one who can experience that without Jesus. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to be reconciled to God, our heavenly father, except through Jesus. Listen to me, friends. I'm going to say some things that might be culturally not popular, but I'm telling you, we're not trying to be culturally popular. We're trying to be aligned with the kingdom of God. All religions are not the same and all roads do not lead to heaven. I don't want us to be confused about that. I've sat in seminary, in seminary with Christian professors who have elevated other religions in equality with Jesus. And it's dangerous. It is dangerous. All roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. God did something pretty powerful. We we know in John 3.16, for God, this is how God loved the world, John 3.16. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this. If there was another way, if there was another way, if there was another religion, if there was another salvation available, God would not have sent his son to the cross. Jesus in the garden, when he was anticipating his death on the cross, asked his heavenly father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, please, Lord, let it happen now. He was asking God, Lord, if there's any way that I don't have to go to the cross, provide provide a way now. There was no other way. And Jesus, I know this is a powerful word, but it's the truth, was slaughtered on the cross for all sins, for all men, for all time. There's no other way but Jesus. Jesus is central to our salvation. It is Jesus who has set us apart. Christ is not the center of Hinduism, not the center of Buddhism. He's not the center of Islam. He's not the center of Judaism. He is the center of the Christian faith, those who are called to be like Jesus. It doesn't mean that we are more important to God than anyone who doesn't believe. It just means we have said yes a lot sooner. This is God's way that it comes through Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So no one of, none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. Listen to this, friends. He has created us anew in Christ. It's only through Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. It's only through Christ that we can answer this call. It's only through Christ that we receive this free gift of salvation. No other name, no other religion, no other figure is Jesus. Are you with me? Number three, Jesus is central to our message, the gospel. There's no other message. We've been given one message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. And this is how Jesus has asked us to share this good news. Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20 says this. Therefore, go. Can you say go? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, listen, friends, to obey all the commands I have given you. So we are teaching from a platform of who he is and what he has given us. 
He is central to our mission. He is central to our message, right? And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So our message, we have been given our message from him. And listen to this, we have been given his presence, his power and his presence is what enables us to give this message. He is central to our message. There's no other way that we can give this message. We can't give it intellectually, right? We can't even give it theologically. It is by the spirit of God that we give this message. And Jesus is the center of that message. I'm leaving out a lot for the sake of time. Um, Number four, can you say number four? Jesus is the center, listen friends, of our adoration and our worship. Now listen, this plays out in a whole lot of ways in the life of our church. But obviously, as you can tell this morning, when we sung our songs, our songs are about Jesus, right? There are good Christian songs out there. What I mean by Christian songs, you probably listen to Christian songs on the radio that you like and you love. And you might be thinking, how come we don't do these songs at church? They're like really good songs. And, and here's the thing. A lot of those songs aren't about Jesus. They're about us. A, a lot of those songs are about me, 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 and what I want and what I need. And can you bless me? And can you give me? And I, all that kind of stuff. And we're not actually singing to Jesus. We're singing to ourselves. There's some Christian songs where we're singing to each other. And we're not called here to sing to each other. And we're not called here to sing to ourselves. We're called here to worship Jesus. Jesus is a central figure of our adoration and worship. So if you ever wonder, why don't we do that one song? I want you to check the lyrics and just think, is that song about me or is it about Jesus? And those are the songs that we choose to sing in the life of the church. It doesn't mean that those songs are bad. It doesn't mean that the songs aren't good. It doesn't mean that you, I like some of those songs. It just means we're probably not going to do them here together because Jesus is the central theme and focus of who we worship and how we worship, right? Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says this, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This, our love, is where our worship comes from. Our our adoration comes from our love for God. And and, and I'm going to be just really honest with you guys, and I don't want you guys to take this personal. I just want you to receive it as as maybe some for instructional purposes. Our worship, what we do on a Sunday morning, is a reflection of our adoration towards him. I just want us to know that. And I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not putting anyone on blast. I just want you to just kind of know, when we're singing to Jesus, and you're kind of like this. It's a reflection of your adoration for Jesus. You might not like the song. You might not even like the person who's leading it up here. You might not like when I lead worship. You're like, oh, Jody's up again. Get Pam back. Oh, where's, Eli- where, where's Eliza? She seems like an angel. Like, where is she? Like, and, and where's Chloe? Chloe brings that energy. You might like someone else leading worship. It's not about the someone else. It's not about the instruments. It's not about the people leading. It's about the one we're singing to. And so if, if, if we had Bethel up here, you might have issues. If we had, we had Hillsong up here, you might have issues. If we had an old hymnist going just with the piano, we might have issues. Either way, it's it's not the method, friends. It's the heart. And the heart is that we worship Jesus. We're to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And that a small picture of that is what we do on a Sunday morning. A bigger picture of that is what you do with your life. 
Is he the central figure of your adoration? Or is it your job? For those of you who are dating, is it, is it, is it your partner, your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Are they the central figure of your adoration and Jesus gets the leftovers? If your life revolves around anything else but Jesus, that's a reflection of your worship. Some of us parents, we need to put ourselves on check when it comes to our kids. We worship our kids. Jesus is the central theme and figure of our worship. Husbands and wives, we're walking on eggshells for, 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 for our spouse. What about Jesus? I'm not saying you should walk on eggshells with Jesus, unless you got some stuff to sort out, but there you go. Jesus is a central figure of our adoration and worship. And lastly, number five, these aren't in order. Jesus is our priority. Your relationship with Jesus, friends, is more important to us as a church and should be more important to you than anything else. It's more important than what you do in this place. It's more important than ministry. It's more important than being a worship leader, a pastor, a preacher, an elder, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a, a facilities worker, a sound tech guy, a prophet. Uh, it's more important than any of that. Your relationship with Jesus must be your priority. It must be your priority. And if it's not your priority, it is our heart that it become your priority. If there's someone who wants to worship Jesus on this stage, um, Pam and I and Steph and I, we, we talk about this often. Like, listen, you can tell when someone's a worshiper and you can tell when someone's not. There's singing songs and then there's worshiping. There's musicianship and then there's worshiping. There's, and you can tell the difference, right? And so we want Jesus, that relationship with Jesus to be the thing that drives everything we do. Right? So that relationship with Jesus is, is, is the priority. Jesus is the priority. He should be the priority of your life. If it's like, let me see, I got to do this or I got to spend time with Jesus. I pray Jesus stops losing that coin toss. Jesus must be the priority. I've been reading this book by Greg McNown, and it's called Essentialism. And he says this about the word priority. You know, the word priority up until the 1900s, was never pluralized. The word priorities didn't exist because there can't be priorities. There's priority and everything else. So what's the priority? And so uh, this guy, Greg McNown, he's like a, uh, um, like a big company guru guy. So he'll go into a company who has 20 priorities. These are our 20 priorities. So he goes in there, he's like, you guys have to shave these down. You can't have 20 priorities. There's no way that you can be good and efficient at 20 different things. And so he'll help them out. He's like, you guys got to whittle this down to five. And there's companies who will like take off one. And he'll be like, you're not going to be efficient at what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And it's the same with our lives, friends. Jesus cannot be a priority. He has to be the priority. And so if it's Jesus and your job, then Jesus isn't a priority. If it's Jesus and your wife, then Jesus is not your priority. For, for even those who are dating, if it's Jesus and your girlfriend, then Jesus is not the priority. Because listen to this, I, 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 we've, we've you know, tried to coach people, listen, the person that you want to be with, you want them to love Jesus more than they love you. 
That's what you want in your life. You want them to love Jesus more than they love you. And we got to ask ourselves that question. I have to ask myself that. Do I want my wife to love Jesus more than me even in this moment? You know, listen, I'm hungry. I want dinner. But she's on the couch spending time with Jesus. Girl, stop reading your Bible and get in that kitchen. She wouldn't listen to that anyways, but that's, that she's living out the priority that I desire for her life. So it's like, okay, what's in the fridge? Let me get at it. I'll help out. What, what does that look like? That's what we want. Jesus has to be the priority. Jesus cannot be in competition with everything in our life. And so many times for us as a people, that's what it is. And so as people are looking at Restoration LA and looking at your life and you encounter them and one of some of those normal conversations that pop up, but what church do you go to? And what are you guys about? My heart for us as a people is we're about Jesus. And when they look at you like, well, duh, that you're able to elaborate and we're able to say Jesus is the central theme and focus of who we are as a people. It's who we worship. It's who we preach about. He's our message. He's a central theme, a focus of our adoration. He's our priority. He's our priority. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And this is what it means by kingdom, friends. If there's a kingdom, then there must be a king. And the only king that is seated on the throne in the kingdom, his name is Jesus. We seek first the kingdom of God. Our working definition of that is the rule and reign of King Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm, I'm quoting King James, sorry. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Everything else is secondary to who he is. Can you say amen to that? Would you guys please stand with me this morning? Listen, friends, as, as a preacher, my heart would be like, all right, who's ready to align themselves with Jesus right now? And I hope that every one of you would raise your hand and say, yes, I need some alignment. But this is bigger than this moment. It's bigger than this sermon. It's bigger than today. This, friends, this is lifestyle. This is tomorrow. When, when, when you go back to work on Monday and you're faced with the world's culture and you're faced with work and you're faced with school and you're faced with all of those other things that, that the world throws at you. This is bigger than now. So I'm not looking for an emotional response. If I say, hey, who, who, who in this room, Jesus hasn't been the priority and you need him to be the priority, I would believe that every one of us would raise our hands. So I'll just believe that we're raising our hands right now. But I do believe that it also takes some decision-making. Me telling you guys, I, I've been working out. I, I've known I need to work out. I, I, I have to get at it. So I started this little exercise thing. It's not little, it's big. For me, it's big. Um, because I needed a jump start. I needed to start somewhere. I had to break a pattern and start a new pattern. This is what has to happen in the spirit when it comes to Jesus. We have to stop a pattern and start a pattern. And I believe it starts with moments like this. And so if you believe that for you, I just would love for you to just close your eyes. And I'm going to ask a simple question. Is your life Jesus-centered? And if it's not, by the power of the Spirit this morning, can you allow God to make the adjustments in you, 
in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your priorities, in your affection, in your energy? Can you allow him to bring alignment in you this morning so that Jesus can be in his rightful place, right at the center? And this is what it means to be in Christ. I'm going to pray for all of us this morning, but I want you to receive this if this is true to you. And when you leave this place, I want you, like like you just started a new exercise diet plan to live this out to the best of your ability. And this is what I want you to know. And if you fail tomorrow, I want you to get up on Tuesday and start again. And if Tuesday is really rough and you're not sure, I want you to pray to the Lord for strength and energy for Wednesday to get up again and do it all over. This is what it takes, friends. We can't just say we're Jesus-centered and not live it out. And if people see you in that spiritual gym trying, you're winning. (laughs) You're winning. So Jesus, this morning, I I am so, so thankful for your grace. Lord, for those of us who haven't allowed you to be the central theme and focus in our lives because of circumstances, because of, because of sin, or because of, of divided affections, Lord, we, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, we turn, we turn from, from those patterns and we turn towards you, our glorious King, our loving Savior, our Prince of Peace. Jesus, be the center of my life. My life, I give you permission to rearrange my priorities. I choose to place you on the top of that priority list. I choose to say yes to you. Give me, by your spirit, give me the strength to live this out. Give me the grace, God. When when, when I'm weary and my mind, body, and spirit are weary, Lord, I give you permission to come and empower me and to move me forward. I put my trust in you in this season. I want my life to be Jesus-centered so that we, as a people, can say we are Jesus-centered. So the world around us will look upon your church, not not just this local church, but your body, and say those are Jesus-centered people. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, um, we love you. Thank you so much. Uh, We're going to continue this series. I hope you guys are a part of it. Um, Don't forget, our home groups are kicking off this week. Look those up. If you have any questions, please try to find those home group leaders, and they will let you know um, how you can be involved. Um, Also, if you're coming back for All Saints meeting, which I hope you all do, um, go grab some food and then come back, and we're going to meet here right at 1230 and get things started. I love you guys. Have a great week and we will see you guys soon.